Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, November 30th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, we're coming a little late this morning because we've got reviews to talk about. We've got all of them. Tomorrow we'll have more reviews to talk about because The Parisian Woman is opening on Broadway tonight. The show is from playwright and TV creator Bo Willimon. I have a feeling he's been kept very busy between his Parisian woman and House of Cards duties <laughs> lately. Um, but the show will open at the Hudson Theater tonight. It stars, of course, the great Uma Thurman, Josh Lucas, Tony winner Blair Brown, Martin Kasakis, and Tony nominee Philip Basu. We'll have all of those reviews tomorrow morning. But tonight, James, another reason why we're going to record tomorrow morning and come a little late is because you are seeing another one of the fall's new plays, and that is Junk. So uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that one on this week on Broadway as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Junk. Um, I keep explaining to my wife that Stephen Pasquale is in it, but he is not singing. Well, and he's the junk is not necessarily the junk that some female theater goers might. N- never mind. Junk bond. OK, anyway, <laughs> yeah. so on my way to a BFA, <laughs> Natalie will have a new episode of on my way to a BFA uh, coming out on Saturday. So uh, keep your ears out for that over the weekend. It's a it's a really good episode. So that should be fun. So anything else coming down the pike in terms of uh, episodes uh, dropping in the feed anytime in the near future, James? Uh, we have Jenna Tessa Fox's uh uh, discussion with Jennifer Ashley Tepler, Tepper, Jenna. Very cool. Tessa Jenna Fox, and Jenna. Jennifer yeah. Ashley Tepper, the uh, three-word name podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then Jan Simpson also has something coming up uh, as well. So we we're going to be we will be splendid with multiple <laughs> podcasts this weekend. Awesome. All right, first uh, up in the news, the reviews are in for Meteor Shower on Broadway. Yeah, James, last night, the show I mentioned just a few minutes ago, Meteor Shower opened at the Booth Theater on Broadway from playwright Steve Martin. May have heard of him. The show stars Emmy and Peabody Award winners Amy Schumer and Keegan-Michael Key, along with Tony winner Laura Benanti and Tony nominee Jeremy Shamos, and is directed by four-time Tony winner Jerry Zaks. Interestingly enough, he's directing the booth, or he's directing Meteor Shower at the booth, which is right next door to Hello, Dolly, where he also has a fairly successful show going on. Um, James, the reviews were mixed, uh, but I think but I, I think that's fair to say. But I also think from based off what the reviews are saying is that the show is not necessarily meant to be enjoyed by one and all. That because of the type of absurd comedy that Mr. Martin is participating in with this show, that it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Yesterday I talked about how I didn't have much affection at all uh, for the music of Come From Away. Same thing. It's not for everybody. Jesse Green in the New York Times wrote, quote, So it's a pleasure to have Mr. Martin's Meteor Shower at the Booth Theater, where it opened Wednesday night in a slick production directed by Jerry Zaxxon, starring Amy Schumer. It's definitely funny. But I wouldn't go as far as to say, as critics once did of Neil Simon's work, something he referenced earlier, that it's a laugh riot. In the Steve Martin manner, it's too abstract for that. Meteor Shower is more of a laugh demonstration. It would be more satisfying if Mr. Martin, who started working on the play in the 1990s and then put it aside, had found a way to maintain character integrity while developing his bigger ideas and also remaining funny. But that's a tough set of balls to juggle. (laughs) 
Peter Marks from the Washington Post said, quote, with one toe dipped uncertainly in sketch comedy and another in theater of the absurd, Steve Martin's meteor shower comes across as oddly, even merrily, flat-footed. Big-time comedians Amy Schumer and Keegan-Michael Key make their Broadway debuts in this lightweight affair, one in which they, and co-stars Laura Benanti and Jerry Shamo, Jeremy Shamos, do at least manage to give a convincing impression of having a swell old time. Adam Feldman of Time Out New York gave the show three out of five stars, writing, quote, Schumer, in a confident stage debut, is very funny as our conventional but malleable heroine who claims to suffer from, quote, exploding head syndrome. And nobody does nice guy finally losing it quite like Shamos. While Key sometimes seems a bit trapped in Gerald's booming swagger, the marvelous Benanti is hilarious throughout as his luciously vague, I don't know what that word is, mercurial companion. But... Despite a somewhat strained attempt to explain itself at the end, Meteor Shower never quite coalesces into a convincing whole. Its entertaining moments blaze, then disappear into an empty sky. Sarah Holdren from Vulture, the last one we'll read here, seems to give the show perhaps one of the most positive notices that it got, writing, quote, Meteor Shower may not be groundbreaking. Few meteors are. But comedy doesn't have to be revelatory to work. And Martin's particular brand of humor is loopy enough to keep us interested. He's also a master of the dad joke. Then she uh, puts an example of a dad joke that I'm not going to repeat on air. Thank you very much. Uh, the, <laughs> the extended setup that builds to a wince-inducing punchline. Yeah, yeah, groans all around. But you can't help giggling, too. And you could go far or you could do far worse than spend 80 minutes chuckling and groaning in the company of this game foursome of actors. There's far worse out there right now. So grab a pre-wine or three and settle in for some puns and some Perseids on this lightest of all dark nights of the soul. So, James, I, I think that this show is probably going to be um, incredibly enjoyable for a lot of people. I think some people are going to find it perfectly bizarre and humorous and some people might just find it eh, mildly funny but it seems like no matter where you come in on the comedic spectrum that it's at least a good time at the theater i say to a lot of people you know who is your, people say oh I've, I've written this show and i say who is your show for and they say everybody and i say no it's not <laughs> um it's so so few shows are for everybody i mean there's there's I've met lots of people out there who Hamilton is not their cup of tea and Hello, Dolly is not their cup of tea and, you know, all these other shows that are pulling in, you know, millions of dollars a week. Wicked is not their cup of tea. I think this just might be the same sort of thing with that, you know, this is for a, a, you know, Steve Martin's comedy when he was performing comedy in the Saturday Night Live days and the Jerk mm -hmm. days and things like that. That was, you know, wildly successful and and acknowledged to be a huge talent, but it, it talent, but it's not for everybody. And I think probably that's what Meteor Shower is. I'm looking forward to seeing it because I think that regardless of these uh, reviews, I think they have found an audience in uh, <laughs> yeah. in the Amy Schumer's fans and the various other folks, the other various ways that they're marketing the show. And this is this is great producing. So, yeah. you know, despite the despite some of the less glowing reviews, they're going to do great. Well, and I wonder if they're doing so well. I wonder if there would be an opportunity uh, to extend in a different house um, or maybe even extend a little 
uh, a little later. They've got the boys in the band coming into the booth, but that's not until late April. So I wonder if uh, the producers of this one might try to either get this cast to extend or to bring in another cast or a partial cast with some other fairly big names. We know uh, Jenna Fisher from The Office originally played the Amy Schumer role in a, it's a completely different, unrelated production out in California, new director and all that stuff. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see that with the sales going as well as they are, if they do try to extend and get another month or two out of it before they have to vacate the booth uh, before the boys in the band comes in. Hmm. I think that that's probably correct. All right. What's up in the show and casting news? Well, I know you will all be incredibly shocked, especially if you listen to this show. But Sarah Bareilles has announced that she's coming back to Waitress and that current Dr. Pometer, Jason Mraz, is going to extend in the role. Wait, what? I feel like we've talked about this possibility before, but <laughs> yesterday um, it was officially announced that Tony and Grammy nominee Sarah Bareilles, who is the composer and lyricist for the Broadway show Waitress, will be returning to the Brooks Atkinson Theater beginning on January 16th for a limited six-week run through February 25th. Bareilles obviously made her Broadway stage debut in the role earlier this year. Uh, her for the first two weeks of her return engagement, her good friend and her um, concept album partner, Jason Mraz, will be extending for an extra couple weeks to play Dr. Pomodoro alongside with her. No word for who will be taking over the role once he leaves on January 28th. Tickets for this this additional run for Miss Bareilles are not on sale yet unless you're an American Express card member. Um, you can get tickets with uh, with them through um, all of the normal channels that you can get American Express special deals through. That goes all the way up until December 5th, and then tickets go on sale for everybody else on December 7th. I don't know how much will be left because I've been hearing that a lot of these tickets are already gone. We saw how big of an impact Borellis made on the box office for the show when she was in the role originally. And I think, as we've talked about before, James, you mentioned Meteor Shower, very shrewd producing. This, I think, also is very, very shrewd producing to get a nice bump from the Moraz time and then have that bleed over into the Borellis time. And then by the time that's over in mid-February, maybe you get somebody else in to kind of bridge the gap. And then once the spring hits and into the summer, this show should be doing just fine to carry it through at least Labor Day, if not the first of the year in 2019. I agree. Uh, these are uh, some really smart people doing great work. So, I did you know? Did you know this next thing was coming? I uh, this took me by surprise. Well, we talked about the fact that the Kennedy Center was going to be doing chess. Um, we talked about just the because uh, an audition notice went out and we talked about it at the time. But we didn't know that when they that audition notice went out that they would be pulling in massive stars for this production. So what's going on is the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts will be doing a four night semi staged concert performance of the musical chess, of course, from the songwriters Benny Anderson and Bjorn Alvaeus from uh, from ABBA and Mamma Mia and Christine and all those other things, and lyricist Tim Rice. The show Chess, as we've talked about many times before, is a great score and a bit of a mess on the book. But apparently this one will have a um, a, a somewhat new book coming from the London um, adaptation. It's from uh, Emmy and Golden Globe winner Danny Strong. But just to bury the lead, the stars of this production will be 
Raul Esparza, Ramin Karamlu, Ruthie Ann Miles, and Karen Olivo. Karen Olivo getting a lot of work done for someone who's retired. Um, this production will run from February 14th through the 18th of 2018 in the Eisenhower Theater at the Kennedy Center. James, uh, we've talked about the fact that London is going to get an all-new uh, adaptation of Chess. We know we know that this is going to happen at the Kennedy Center. It really seems like they're laying the groundwork for an eventual Broadway revival. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that will look like. Will it look more like the London one? Or will it look more like this? Michael Mayer is directing this production at the Kennedy Center. Um, Raul will play Freddie Ramin. Uh, will play Anatoly. He mentioned that he was going from one Russian to another in Anastasia to to this. Tony winner Ruthie Ann Miles will be playing Anatoly's wife, uh, Svetlana, and then Tony winner Karen Olivo will be playing playing Florence Vassy. So, um, you know, I, I think this is pretty interesting. And what's funny about it is, is you've got these big four four big stars at the top of this bill, James. But there's also someone that we know fairly well over here at Broadway Radio, Bryce Pinkham. Uh, Tony nominee Bryce Pinkham will be playing the Arbiter in this production. Oh, excellent. So, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head to uh, for the Kennedy Center to put so much talent together, uh, i.e., um, they've spent a lot of money yes. to uh, bring these people in for four performances. I think they're angling for some sort of afterlife. Checkmate. All right. Uh, <laughs> Bette Midler adds an actress fund benefit of performance of Hello, Dolly. Yeah, James, if you remember, there was quite a bit of contention uh, earlier this year that Scott Rudin, the producer of Hello, Dolly, had not yet done an Actors Fund performance of Hello, Dolly with Bette Midler in the role. A lot of people were concerned by the fact that this is a fairly common thing for most shows to do, especially when they're doing fairly well at the box office, to do a performance that the entire box office receipts for that performance benefit the Actors Fund. They did not do one. Bette Midler did not perform on the Tony Awards, and these two things kind of happened at about the same time when people were starting to ask these questions. Well, it was announced yesterday that a, that Bette Midler would be doing one more performance, and that's a problem for a lot of people, James, because her original final performance in Hello, Dolly! was supposed to be on Sunday, January 14th at 2 p.m. The Actors Fund performance will now be on Sunday, January 14th at 8 p.m. That performance will be the one where all the proceeds go to the Actors Fund. But a lot of people who specifically bought tickets to try to see her last performance in the role are a little perturbed that they were marketed in a way that ended up not being accurate. So uh, this is great that they are being able to do this. The tickets are going to range from $250 to $10,000, and those go on soon. And a pre-show reception starts uh, at 6 p.m. if your tickets uh, are at least $5,000. Um, I, I guess this is a good thing. I'm uh, very glad that they are doing this, but it feels like even in making the right decision, eventually, James Scott Rudin just had to kind of turn the knife just a little bit to kind of get people, uh, up in arms as, you know, as much as humanly possible. He's screwing the wrong people. I, yeah, I just, <laughs> because it's the people that are buying the tickets. It, it, these aren't the people, oh. Yeah, I mean, because but you know what the thing is is that with uh, these people paying the big bucks at the very end, um, they get to take a piece of the set home with them, so they have less of a strike to do. No, they're not closing the show, James. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, because it would have been very easy. (laughs) 
<laughs> I knew you were kidding. Um, it would have been very easy for them to just do it on the previous Sunday, to add that 8 p.m. show at the previous Sunday, not to upset the people who had bought tickets for that entire final week, and then especially the people who would bought tickets for that Sunday matinee. So I just – we've talked about it. I respect the hell out of Rudin. I, I think he is a shrewd producer both on stage and screen, and I appreciate the fact that he takes – both plays and movies that are not the things that you normally would think of. And he invests money and talent in them. If you, if you either read my review or heard me talk about Lady Bird, that's a great film that he produced that is not going to be a, a huge moneymaker, but it was important artistically. So I respect him, but it just seems like there's these little things all the time where he has to have the final word. And if someone kind of says something suspect about the way he's done things, he's going to give them just a little bit of the business uh, so that they know who's in charge. I suspect that when he was young, he didn't play well in the sandbox with others. I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know that I ever really played in sandbox as much, to be honest with you, but either way. <laughs> well, you had those cold Ohio winters. Yes, that's true. All right. Uh, Jeff Daniels reportedly to lead Aaron Sorkin's To Kill a Mockingbird next year. Yeah, James, there was this huge, long ranging interview from The Hollywood Reporter's Lacey Rose, where she talked with the great Aaron Sorkin. They talked about everything from rebooting The West Wing with Sterling K. Brown as the president. They also talked about the fact that, once again, NBC's live A Few Good Men will be postponed. It will no longer air in the spring of 2018. It will apparently air sometime in 2019. I'm still uh, not going to hold my breath for if that one ever gets off the ground. But and for the Broadway perspective, the biggest news out of this came when Aaron Sorkin was talking about the uh, the upcoming Broadway production, also produced by Scott Rudin, of his adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. Apparently, Jeff Daniels, who led Sorkin's TV show, the newsroom on HBO uh, has been participating in readings of it before or, or here recently. The production and the and Scott Rude's office would not comment on if Jeff Daniels was going to be tied to it on Broadway. But the way Sorkin talks about it in the Hollywood Reporter interview, I would be shocked if he is not, especially given their working relationship on the TV show before. So this one, which doesn't come around until December of 2019, remember, uh, or December of 2018, remember, um, I, I would imagine that it would bring Jeff Daniels back to Broadway. And as far as I'm concerned, he's one of the best we have. So uh, it will be very interesting to see who else rounds out this cast. Uh, next up, Jill Rafson taken over at Roundabouts Underground. Yeah, we mentioned this in passing yesterday, so I wanted to make sure that we cleaned this up and got all of the uh, information out there. Roundabout Theater Company earlier this week announced that Robin Goodman had stepped down as the founding artistic director of Roundabout Underground. Goodman, Goodman and colleague Jeff Fiedler uh, will continue to consult Roundabout's artistic team. Longtime literary and artistic department team member Jill Rafson will serve as, uh, as artistic producer of the Underground and continue to serve as the director of new play development. In this in this position, Rapson will continue to spearhead, along with Todd Hames, uh, the Roundabout Underground programming and its expanded two-play season and all the new play development at the company. Uh, James, over the last few years, un uh, Roundabout Underground has brought a lot of really great shows to the forefront, and some that have gone on, I believe, to having some longer lives at Roundabout, Too Heavy for Your Pocket, which is uh, just recently wrapped up, I think, last week, uh, and, uh, and and many other things. So I'm excited to see what they do with this. The fact that Roundabout Theater Company, which I think pretty much only does revivals on Broadway, that the fact that they've invested in bringing new works to the stage, uh, I think that's a great thing for everybody. 
Yeah, uh, that uh, that is interesting point that you bring up. That roundabouts. Uh, I have to relook and see if they, their mission statement is on their uh, is on their website. But they've been at the forefront of of uh, helping new artists develop, especially writers, uh, which is really great. What's up in the uh, recommendation section? All right, we've got two things. First off, Beanie Feldstein, who is one of the stars of the aforementioned Lady Bird. And also the aforementioned Hello Dolly. Um, she penned a, a refreshing new op-ed for the website Refinery29. In it, she talks about how many people have been really excited about the fact that she's lost weight and how that troubles her. Uh, she writes, quote, throughout my childhood and adolescence, I really struggled with my weight. My family, doctors and society at large were constantly telling me that I was too heavy, that I needed to exercise more, that I should be smaller. I was pushed into trying Weight Watchers, Ginny Craig, and I absolutely hated it. It affected me deeply. She goes on to say that once she stopped caring about what society deems as ideal, she felt free. She said, quote, I was so far from the norm that I felt no pressure to get anywhere close to it. Honestly, my body image was something I barely ever thought about. Um, it's a really nice er, breath of fresh air, really, to kind of read this uh, this op ed and kind of just see somebody who. I mean, she's so young. I mean, coming into her own as an adult and feeling comfortable as to who she is and telling people that your expectations of who and what I should be are not necessarily mine. So keep them to yourselves. Um, so it was really cool. It's a really, really well-written article. And uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes at broadwayradio.com if you want to check that out. And then one more recommendation to throw in there, James. Um, apparently, if, if people haven't uh, known, the 20th anniversary of the animated film Anastasia is going on right now. They've had some some big features I've heard on Sirius XM, and they're doing a bunch of stuff. Well, yesterday at the show's matinee on Broadway, Lynn Ayers and Stephen Flaherty came out after the curtain call, and they had another nice thing to say about the film. And then, in a special surprise, after the curtain call, uh, the Broadway Anastasia, uh, Christy Altamere, performed uh, a song, Journey to the Past with the animated film in the background on their big projection screen. So they've got a lot of projections going on in Anastasia. It's really cool. Um, as I said before, this is not a film that I grew up watching. It came out when I was like a senior in high school or something. But I think for a lot of people, as Robbie told us the other day, it's such a huge selling cast album for Broadway records. This film obviously means a lot to a lot of people. So I think this is a really special experience uh, for some of those folks. We will have that video in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com as well if you want to check that out. All right. Next up, we have this week's Theater Throwback with Daniela Parcell. All right, Daniela, it is Thursday, so we've got you here for a Theater Throwback. What happened this week in the ancient lores of theatrical history? All right. Well, this is not actually in the ancient lores, oh, more in the oh. like past two decades. Oh, okay. um, Close enough. But it, it's still a throwback. So today we're going back to November 26, uh, 2002. This was the first preview of Tommy Toon, White Tie, and Tails, which is not what I'm going to be talking about, oh. <laughs> um, because it was also the first performance ever at the Little Schubert Theater off-Broadway. Oh, wow. So now called Stage 42, the theater is located between 9th and 10th Avenues at the at the bottom of a 39-story residential building on, as the new name suggests, 42nd Street. As the old name suggests, the theater was built by the Schubert organization to give the company a presence in the growing off-Broadway scene and possibly as a space for them to develop work before bringing it to bigger Broadway stages. 
It was the first new theater built by the Schuberts since the Ethel Barrymore in 1928, and it was the first off-Broadway theater to be built from the ground up using private funds, meaning it was not built by a nonprofit group, and it was not a renovation or a conversion of some other performance space. Hmm. Today, the Little Schubert is one of the few commercial off-Broadway spaces. I have never been there, and so I'm sure a lot of people have, and to them this isn't news, but apparently there's a very steep stadium-style seating, um, and the sight lines are really great, which is fantastic for a short person like me. And the maximum distance between an audience member and the stage is only 60 feet, which is something that Tommy Toon uh, said he really loved. He said he had never had a better audience-stage relationship. Now, this first preview of Tommy Toon's show wasn't terribly eventful. I'm sure the show was fantastic, but they didn't have any kind of opening ceremony for the Little Schubert until a few weeks later. That was on December 12th, and the Schubert organization just had a small informal celebration outside the theater, and Tommy Toon and the Manhattan Rhythm Kings did perform. And I guess Tommy Toon was really excited about this theater because he actually got a new dog and named him Little Schubert. (laughs) Oh, Tommy. (laughs) Yeah, it's cute. (laughs) Now, I'm not qualified to talk about off-Broadway producing, so I won't really try to. But what's interesting about The Little Schubert is that since this Tommy Toon show, which opened 15 years ago, about a dozen shows have run there and none of them have been terribly successful. The last show to run there was Trip of Love and the theater is currently dark. Another interesting thing about the Little Schubert is that there are exactly 499 seats. So if they added just one seat, it Mm -hmm. could be considered a Broadway house. I know it's not as simple as throwing another chair in there and calling it Broadway, but it's something to think about. I like it. Yeah, James and I always talk about these places that are sitting vacant or being used by some purpose other than a Broadway theater that – at one point, were Broadway theaters, the Times Square mm-hmm. Church. You know, this one, as small as it is, could be something. We've seen something very similar with the Helen Hayes. Um, it's a tiny, tiny theater, com- especially compared to the Broadway standards. But if someone's getting frisky and wants to figure out a way to get a small playhouse back on Broadway, this could be number 42. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and no pun intended, but stage 42 could be the 42nd Broadway house. I like it. Very good oh, thinking there. I, yeah. I like it too. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't even have to rename it. No. <laughs> also this week in history, on November 28th, 2007, the local one stagehand strike was officially settled. I talked all about that strike a few weeks ago, so you can check out today on Broadway for Thursday, November 9th to hear all about that. On December 1st, 2005, the original Broadway production of The Color Purple began its run, and on that same day in 2011, the short-lived Bonnie and Clyde also opened. And finally, on December 2nd, 1985, the original production of The Mystery of Edwin Drood opened at the Imperial. That's a good one. Color Purple, Bonnie and Clyde, and and Edwin Drood, or just Drood as it later became known. Those are (laughs) that's a good date. Those are good. That's a good week. Not necessarily the most successful shows ever, but things that have gone on to have some uh, some acclaim and and notoriety afterwards. So not a bad week in theater history. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Okay, Matt. Why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt and subscribe to Sound Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for uh, spending some of your Thursday with us. Uh, as Matt mentioned, uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning a little bit later than normal so we can get in the reviews for Parisian Woman, and we'll wrap up the week then. 